Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Good morning to all my Zoom people as well as everybody here in the room. Everybody's so excited to be back together today. <laughs> we're all chatty. It's like we haven't seen each other. Well, it's been the last time we were all together was December 21st for winter solstice. It feels like a repeat. Deja vu right now. All over again. December 21st, we had Ranch, we had Terry. We had me, but no Christmas music today, but that's all right. Well, anyways, thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, for people who don't know me, my name is Tamara Rossender and I'm the spiritual director. And as a representative for CSL White Rock, I recognize that I'm a settler on this land. I'm grateful and honored to live and operate on the traditional ancestral and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples and other members of this gathering are working and living in other traditional lands and many of many other indigenous people. So as CSL is a loving, vibrant world that works for all, we're committed to uplifting the indigenous voices, respecting traditional lands and working with communities towards reconciliation. So I wanna thank the first peoples who continue to live and care for mother earth and all that is above and all that is below. So now I get to turn it over to one of our favorite musicians, very talented young man. <laughs> the silver fox, I heard you're called sometimes. <laughs> and Ran Singh. Thank you very much. It's an original song called Found a Way Home. of our own, but the things we got are the things we love and 
love your original songs. Are you going to do a lot of originals on? No, I'm going to do Baby Shark over and over again. Baby Shark? <laughs> Baby Shark? <laughs> It'll be a night of originals and covers. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Thank you. So CSL White Rock, we are based on four cornerstone beliefs. As everybody probably knows, we've been over this a few times, but it's always good to for the reminder, especially the start of a new year. So there is one life and is the source of all things, and it is good. And the second one is we are spirit having a human experience. And third, nothing outside of us needs to change to be happy. And fourth, we're here to walk each other home. So as we know as a spiritual community, that is an important part that we get to be here and practice together, to be in this community, to practice living these four cornerstones. And so how fitting the day after Ernest Holmes' birthday. <laughs> okay, maybe, hold it, let me rewind. <laughs> that didn't exactly come out the way I was planning it. <laughs> so today it's my honor to introduce our past spiritual director here at CSL White Rock, Reverend Terry Shea. So many of you may be familiar with him as he is to us. He's a brilliant teacher and speaker, and he's trained a legacy of practitioners and ministers. And he continues in his retirement to mentor ministers and to counsel clients and officiate uh, funerals. And I am fortunate to call Reverend Terry a friend, mentor, and teacher. So welcome, Reverend yeah. Terry. <laughs> Well, Ranchette was pretty clear. You're the young man. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's, it's a great pleasure to be with you today. And um, I, I want, well, certainly there's a theme 
emerging here, and that is to be present and aware. And um, that's what I plan to talk about today is really being present and aware. And I want to um, acknowledge uh, Tamara's, Reverend Tamara's leadership. I'm going to anticipate because I know the truth. Um, I want to, um, to uh, celebrate Reverend Tamara's leadership and insight because she's, she's picked up on something that I think is truly, truly important. And that is, what is a spiritual community? What are we all gathered for? What's the purpose of this coming together in this place and in spiritual communities all over the place? What is that really about? And it's been distilled down really to one very, very simple thing. And that is, uh, this is the main purpose of this community and communities like it everywhere is so that we have a place for spiritual practice. And the spiritual practices that we engage in are five. And they are very simply pray, meditate or contemplate, learn, serve, and give. Those are the five spiritual practices. Now, we normally recognize these three that it's quite common that we would come together to pray together, to meditate together, and thank you, Diane, for that beautiful treatment. And I especially like that word, contentment. It made me smile. And then to learn together. And voila, another minister here who is a teacher and you here as her students. So those three we usually get a handle on, but it's not often that we think about giving and serving as spiritual practice. And yet my experience of having been in spiritual community for most of my life, I'll tell you, has been that those are the ones that really challenge me the most. I love to pray. I love to meditate. I love to learn. But serving, not so much. <laughs> and giving, well, that's an up and down thing, right? Depending on how I feel and where the flow is that I'm in. So that's what I want to talk to you about today in particular is about spiritual practices and in particular about giving. So. First off, some of you have heard this before. It's the reason why I chose my title. Cellist, running through the traffic in New York City, encounters a taxi cab. You know how you get your taxi cab in New York? He leaps into the cab with his cello and he says to the, to the taxi cab driver, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? And the cabbie says, practice, practice, practice. <laughs> And so this lecture today is about practice, and it's about practice within spiritual community. My spiritual community history is part of the Catholic Church. I was born into it. I'm what's called a cradle Catholic. That is to say you don't know anything else but that. 
C'est vrai, hein? <laughs> That's where we get to, into it. But it is our sp first spiritual community. And I know that when I left Catholicism, one of the things that I experienced was a tremendous grief at having left behind that spiritual community that was my childhood. At 13, I entered a monastery and remained in monastic life until I was 25 years old. And that's where I really learned about spiritual community. Eventually, I ended up teaching at Vancouver College for 10 years. Again, another intentional spiritual community. And then, of course, when I was writing my book for two years, I spent one month, one weekend of every month in the Benedictine community in Mission with the intention of having the support of that community to write the book that I was working on. So the first thing that emerges about spiritual community is the intentionality behind it. It is something that only can be undertaken with intention and with the clearest of intentions. In the year 320, in Wadi al-Natrun, which is a, a valley north of Alexandria in Egypt, the very first monastic communities were formed. And how were they formed? Well, it just so happened that fellows with unlikely names like Macarius, Barsanulfius, Arsenius, and, hope, and happily, Antony <laughs> retired to the caves in Wadi al-Natrun. And while they were there, they got a reputation. They got a reputation for being wise. Now, our English word wise comes from the German Weisheit or Wissenschaft. And that means basically what we know. The real root of wisdom comes from the French, exactly. Sagesse. Sagesse is wisdom. And that comes from the Greek Sophia, wisdom. And those two things are very different. And to show you how different they are, how different is a wise guy from a sage. You see, Wissenheit or Weisheit is about what we know, the things I know, the stuff that's in here. But sagesse, or being a sage, is what you know and how it expresses in your life. And so these great teachers were known for their wisdom, for what they knew that they lived. And people wanted some of that. And so they ended up seeking out these teachers and being with them in community. They did not expect these teachers to create a monastery for them. They were the teachers and the community created the monastic life. The community served, the community funded, 
the community worked with one another to bring together that which would support their learning and their prayer. Now, I think you see where I'm going with this. Your spiritual teacher is here as your spiritual teacher. And you are here to form the place, the community, the structure where you can learn from her and pray together and grow together spiritually. And so it is about the place that we create together. It is about the teacher that we come to for wisdom. And it is about the intention that we bring. The spiritual community that I was involved with, the Trappists, they had one single intention, to live constantly in the presence of God. To live constantly in the presence of God. Now, many people believe that Trappists have a vow of silence. This is absolutely untrue. They do have vows, but silence is not one of them. And I bring this up because of what it has to do with the intention of living in the presence of God. The practice of silence in a monastery is based in this and this alone. Each one of us here is intending to live in the presence of God. That is to say, to speak to God, to hear God speaking to us in whatever way that means to you. And we believed that it would be inappropriate, as a matter of fact, unjust, to engage in conversation while somebody else next to us was intent on speaking with God. And so the silence is not so much that we want to be silent, but that I want to, I want to provide a silent atmosphere for you. And so basically this intentionality of spiritual practice of silence is I create silence for myself and I make sure that I foster silence for you. And that is what community really is about. That is what spiritual community and our spiritual practice is about. I give so that this community can exist. I serve so that this community can be served. My efforts here are to support you just as yours are here to support me. So it is in practice, our spiritual practice is what we give to ourselves, but it is also what we provide for each other. And that is an important piece of the puzzle. It's easy to see when we're in meditation, but maybe it's not quite so easy to see when we talk about service. So let's move into the spiritual practice of giving. Number one, it has to be conscious. And that's part of what makes it valuable. And I'm going to tell you a story. 
Mary Manon Morrissey. How many people have heard of Mary Manon Morrissey? Remarkable, remarkable spiritual teacher. Started a wonderful center uh, just outside of Portland. It was a flourishing center for a number of years. And there's a big story around it, which I, I encourage you to learn. But what really comes out of it is the deep and profound integrity of that teacher. But she wasn't always hugely successful. As a matter of fact, at one point, she and her husband and their children were itinerant ministers just wandering around the country, doing whatever they could to spread the teaching that they wanted to spread. And like most itinerant ministers, they didn't have much. They lived pretty much out of their van. And at one point they found themselves, Mary found herself with very little money and four mouths to feed. So she went into the grocery store and she picked up four bags of dried split peas of different colors because she thought, I can convince my family, especially the children, that there's more than one course being served here because they're different colors. <laughs> and so she presented herself at the counter with the last money that she had and bought these four bags of split peas to make for meals. And on the way out, she encountered someone who had less than she did. And so she gave this person who was begging one of the four bags of split peas. Now, that was a tithe of 25%. But she wasn't counting the tithe. What she was doing was bringing to consciousness what it feels like to give when you don't have anything or when you have very little. Therein lies the spiritual practice of giving. In it is that built in the process of how do I feel about giving? when I don't have very much. What thoughts come up for me when I think about giving? How much should I give? How much can I give? These are questions that will naturally come up if you are giving consciously. In other words, if this is a conscious spiritual practice. The beautiful thing about asking those questions is asking the questions. It's not about the answers. And so to underline that, there's a wonderful story from the, um, from the Bible of the widow's might, it's called. And of the widow who had very, very little to give but she had that one coin, and so she gave it, consciously gave it. And of course, there's the contrasting story of the man with incredible wealth who gave without thinking because he could. And the point of the story, the point that the, that the evangelist makes is that the woman who gave one coin got more spiritual value who cares what the temple got? 
In the bottom line, who cares? But it's what the woman got by consciously giving. So the spiritual practice, as I said, is about bringing this stuff to consciousness. It's being aware or being challenged or having to ask those questions or having to answer those questions and live with the discomfort of your answer. The point of giving is never, ever about how much you give and whether it's the right amount. But is it the right amount for you? And has it raised up that discomfort of asking yourself a difficult question and having to come up with an answer? When I was in the monastery, I was blessed to be able to serve in any number of ways that I had never, ever anticipated. Milking cows, driving tractors, working on tin roofs and uh, all kinds of jobs that personally I felt absolutely unsuited for because I was not raised that way. I was an academic. And here I was doing all of this physical labor and every time asking myself, can I do this? Am I up to the task? Is it something that I will fail at? This community is a gift. I know because I served this community for almost 20 years. I know what a gift it is. I also know that it is a gift we give each other. It's not provided for us. It is one that we actively, consciously participate in giving to each other. And to ourselves. You know, I don't think I have much more to say about this. <laughs> I think I've I think I've made my point. <laughs> May I ask if there's any questions? Sure. <laughs> Is there anyone who has a question or, or would like clarification on anything? Yes. Whatever happened to the book you were working on? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for asking that. Um, pardon me? Oh, I have to repeat it back. Um, the question. <laughs> from Nancy is, whatever happened to the book that you're writing on? You, the book, you mean the one that's called Slut for God, that one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the book is in this present state, in its present state is a whole series of vignettes 
that need to be tied together. And I really, I have been unable to finish it because I didn't actually know, you know, let me back up a little bit. My editor used to say to me every time that we'd sit down, she'd say, so Terry, what's this book about? And I would sort of fumble around trying to tell her what it's about for a month. She'd go, no, no, no. So the answer, the short answer, Nancy, is I actually still don't know what the book is about. <laughs> I know all of the stories in it, and I know I want to tie them together, but I don't really know what the connecting thread is. It's, it's about my life, so I guess you could call it a, a literary memoir. Hopefully it's literary, a literary memoir. But there's a thread running through it that at 75, I'm still kind of weaving together. One of these days, I'll know what it's about, and hopefully I'll get to finish it before I shuffle off to Buffalo or wherever else we go. Anything else? Anyone else? Um, actually, there's some questions on Zoom. They're just actually, it's more for Diane. They're wondering what book uh, that she read. Diane, which book? The book is The Silence of the Heart by Paul Ferrini. Paul Ferrini. Yeah. Paul Ferrini. <laughs> Merci, thank you. Yes. I, something came to my mind when you were talking about your book. Could you say that again so I can? Surrey. S the, the town of Surrey. The city Surrey. A city of stories. A city of stories. I thought about your, your book and your stories. I don't know. Okay. It would be okay. Terry and, uh, and the amount thing. Mm -hmm. I'll just be quiet over here. No, what's that? I was thinking of that, what Janet was saying about the Surrey and the city of stories. It would be Reverend Terry. And his, a, life of stories. a life of stories. Well, you know, that still doesn't tell me what it's about, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Georgia. Um, when you were telling the story about the, the monastic from the 380, 320, it made me think of Michael Singer who wrote The Surrender Experiment, The Untethered Soul, and Living the Untethered Soul. Because to me, he's kind of like a modern modern day. He wanted just a monastic life, and he ended up with a huge uh, spiritual community that sort of gravity. It's quite interesting if you read The Surrender Experiment. So Michael Singer, uh, George is mentioning Michael Singer's book. Yeah, well, he has many books. The first one was The Untethered Soul. Then he wrote The Surrender Experiment, and now he's writ written living the untethered soul. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of like, a, to me, he reminded me when you said that of a modern day who ended up with this community that he didn't intend to have, but he just wanted to be a, have a monastic life. And then, wow. Well, that, that tends to happen. Uh, people tend to gravitate towards spiritual teachers. Um, I think that would be the case with Dr. Holmes as well. Exactly. Yeah. The title of this talk? No. 
Oh, oh, the title of the book. Oh. Well, actually, I will tell you. Um, sluts have got a bad rap. The word slut um, is a very well-known word at the time of Samuel Pepys, so 1700s, in late 1600s, early 1700s in Britain. And um, a slut is a kitchen maid. And Samuel Pepys even refers to his kitchen maid and says, a delightful little slut. And what he, it's a compliment, really, and it's, a, it's, a, it's how you designated someone whose job was to be a kitchen maid or to have sort of lowly service in a house. And so I do explain that in the book, but it also has now a modern meaning, um, which I probably don't have to go into in detail, but it is someone who gives themselves to, yeah, okay, you, you see my meaning. Yes, yes and who surrenders themselves to that experience for the benefit of X, right? I think, and I have thought, that in my life I have in fact surrendered myself to God and to the work of God within me. And more often than not, not knowing what was going to happen and where I was being taken. And so that idea of surrendering to something bigger than me that would use me for its good is really what slut was about. <laughs> yeah. And I'm reminded of the famous Ricky Byers song, God Use Me. And that is, well, that says a lot. So thank you for asking the question. Time. Pardon me? Treatment time. Treatment time? And that's me. Okay. Okay, then I'm going to invite you now, if you're comfortable, to go with me to that place of deep, awareness of what is your life, what is my life, what is the life of all and therefore what is the life of this community. For it is that God that we know. It's the source of all. It is who and what we are and it is living in us, but more importantly, it is expressing through us, and we are living as it. In the highest consciousness of the knowingness of God, we are living as God. To the degree that we are able. And always, always, straining to be able to be more that which we are. This process of being is one of moving from 
the unconscious to conscious to ever more conscious and more knowing of who and what I am. I intend to embrace ever more deeply the big R reality of who and what I am. To embody it more fully and more consciously, moment by moment. And I choose to engage in whatever spiritual practice is available to me to bring about that greater degree of livingness that I am invited to. Spirit God knows me at my deepest core because I am what it is. And so I surrender myself to that action and activity of spirit in me, as me, and through me so that the greater good can be revealed. This is my purpose. This is my joy. This is my life. And so it is. Always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. So now, I almost feel like we don't need to do this part. It's just like it's that time, but I do have to do it. <laughs> it's giving time, right? <laughs> so as Reverend Terry talked about, the spiritual practice of sacred giving begins with the recognition that it is part of our nature to give and to receive, so that we're operating in that law of circulation. And the act of giving establishes balance and allows the energy to flow freely, coming in and going out. And when you're balanced, you're naturally open to the miracles surrounding you at every moment. And they are there. They are always there. So let us affirm together our prosperity affirmation that I am grateful for my life. I am grateful all that I need flows to me. It is effortlessly and through channels expected and unexpected. And I am the instrument of this prosperous life. Thank you, and so it is. So if you do choose to, if you're nourished here today and found value in coming together as spiritual community, please feel free to donate on our website, by mail, by check, or e-transfer, and just know that everything, all gifts are, of all sizes are helpful. And know that your contribution definitely makes a positive difference. So thank you so much. And now, back to Ranch for our closing song. Thank you very much. Actually, a couple of points. Um, for Reverend Terry. I think when you